God's been faithful, hasn't he? Raise your hand if God's been faithful to you. Amen. All right, if you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 5 is where we'll be, Acts chapter 5. And I'm going to start off with a question that probably scares Pastor Josh. This is how I'm starting. But how many of you have ever got a traffic ticket in your life? Traffic ticket. Let me see those hands. How many of you have ever been pulled over and got away without a traffic ticket? They just gave you a warning, something like that. All right, I have found here in Jamestown that happens a lot more than in Florida where I came from, and I've gotten many tickets. Uh, I'm not proud of them, and there's one that really sticks out, and it was the first ticket I ever got, and I didn't know what I was doing, and um, in in Florida, there's a weird law about passing emergency vehicles, and I passed one, and I got a ticket, and Holly was with me. We were heading back from, some of you are already laughing, you don't even, some of you have heard this story, but uh, we were driving back, and officer pulled me over, gave me a ticket, told me what I needed to do. And because I did not want to tell my dad at this point that I got a ticket, I tried to do it on my own. I thought, I'll pay this to the county. Um, I have enough money, but we'll take care of this. He'll never know. And I ended up going home, taking that, uh, that, that letter, and I sent it off to the county where I live. So I got a ticket in Pensacola, and then I drove home to Tampa and paid the ticket at Tampa. And some of you already know where I went wrong in the story. And so I thought nothing of it. I thought I got away with it. My dad didn't know. I paid this ticket. Um, I think he knows. This may be the first time he's finding out about this if he's watching live stream. And I thought everything was good. And a couple months later, I was back at school and I was driving to CVS for some supplies, some medicine, and a police officer was running tags, pulled me over and walked over to my side of the door, took my license, cut it in half, said that he could put me in jail because I was driving on a suspended license and it had been suspended for about three to four months. And he saw the, the terror and the, the fear in my face and said, you don't know that your license has been suspended. And I said, no, I, I do not know this. I would not have been driving. And he told me that they had been trying to get a hold of me. And so I'm not going to call out which family member it is if they are watching on live stream. But I was living with one of my family members, uh, not my immediate family. They were in Africa and they been getting these letters from the police station saying that, that your license is suspended, that you've got to pay this ticket. And they just thought this can't be real. So they were throwing it away. They were just shredding it. So I never heard from this police station. Here I am terrified. He told me I needed to go to court to get this resolved. I couldn't drive. And it was terrifying. I ended up going to court. And if you know my dad, um, he, he preps for everything. And so I was trying to think like my dad. And, and I went like in a suit and tie. I had a three ring binder full of notes. I was ready to plead my case at the court. How many of you have been to court? Some of you don't want to raise your hand for this, right? Maybe just to watch. It is interesting to watch. And the person before me was called up. And the judge asked this person, were you innocent or guilty? He was being charged for for flying through a stop sign. And he very confidently said, innocent. I did not fly through the stop sign. I stopped. I looked both ways. It was very believable. And then I'll never forget the look on his face and the laughter from the room when the judge looked back at him and said, all right, officers, pull out the tape. And they rolled out this massive TV screen and everything was caught on camera. And that guy right there, I'll never forget the look on his face. He just went, oh man. And he just fell to his seat because he was caught. And I remember looking at that guy and thinking, what was he thinking? How did he think this was going to work out? Did he think he was just going to get away with it? Did he think that he'd maybe be able to, to, you know, kind of fib his way? What was going through his mind that in his mind, he thought I could lie before a judge. I I could fake this and, and get away free. And we're going to look in Acts chapter 5 of a story of a a man and woman named Ananias and Sapphira. And if you've never read this passage, and I believe many of us have, you kind of come away with that same thinking. You you look at them and you ask yourself this question, what were they thinking? Well, why would they do this? Did they not realize who they were lying to? How in the world did they think they'd get away with this? And as I studied this and read it several times, I realized that Ananias and Sapphira actually aren't that different in the way they were thinking than I do sometimes. 
And I think there may be some Christians in here who, if we're being honest, we could relate to Ananias and Sapphira a little more than we'd like to admit. And so if you would stand with me, we're just going to read about 11 verses in Acts chapter 5. We'll stand and read these verses and we'll ask God to do a work in us. It says in verse 1, But a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. And he kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of this land? While its remains, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. But Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost, and great fear came among all them that heard these things. And the young man arose, wound him up, and carried him out and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in, and Peter answered unto her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. And she said, yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, how is it that you have agreed together to tempt the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door and shall carry thee out. Then she fell down straight away at his feet and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. Verse 11, and great fear came among, upon all the church and upon as many heard these things. Lord, we ask that as we read this passage and we take a look at what it is that you're teaching us, that, uh, Lord, we want to just leave here the same, that we'd see exactly what it is that you're teaching us, that, that you would help me to um, not get in my own way of, of what your word says, Lord, that every single person would leave here with a better understanding of how to be authentic in their Christianity, Lord, and not do things for others, but do things simply because of their relationship with you. Bless this time. As your precious name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. If you haven't read this passage, or if you have, again, it's, it's a pretty familiar one. Ananias and Sapphira are part of this incredible movement. The church is just beginning. So many people are getting saved. Amazing things are happening. And I so wish that I could be a part of this time. I could see this just like our church is, is experiencing these great things. It was incredible for what they were seeing here. And this was the first here in Acts. Um, and chapter five is obviously where we are, but it's been leading up to this point. And, and Ananias and Sapphira saw all that was happening and they didn't want to be left out. And everybody was giving and everybody was sacrificing, everybody was worshiping, doing everything they could to see the gospel go out, to see families' uh, needs be met and, met and things like that. And so Ananias and Sapphira come up with a plan. They said, we have some land, we can sell it just like everyone else is doing, but we will tell them that we're giving all the proceeds to the church, to Peter and the leaders, but we'll keep back a portion, we'll keep it for ourselves, we won't tell anyone, it'll just be between you and me. And so before we jump all over them, they were doing a good thing, that they were giving, they were sacrificing a little, but there, there was part of it that they wanted to keep back. And we don't know how much, um, but it obviously, they, they gave a lot because in order for Peter to at least believe them in their minds, it couldn't have been like, hey, we sold all this land for $5, right? So, so it was a portion enough to where it maybe sounded believable, but they go to Peter and they tell him, hey, here's the proceeds, this is all of it. And Peter, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, right away knows they're lying, and he says, well, why are you doing this? What caused you to tempt the Holy Spirit? What caused you to come up with this lie? And I think, and maybe you've heard a sermon or, or a message on, on lying here in Acts chapter 5, and I think that's totally, totally applicable. Obviously, lying is a sin. God doesn't want us to lie. This passage teaches that. We could go to many verses that, that tell us lying is a sin. But I think when we look at the life of these two individuals, there's a much deeper problem going on than just lying. 
Um, I've recently, well, sort of recently, for about six months, I've, I've been taking some counseling classes to become a certified counselor. And, and one of the first things they teach you is when you are counseling with an individual, and biblical counseling, is there are what they call these surface level sins. And so not that they're any less or, or, or more important, it's sin is sin, but there are these surface level sins that usually are obviously on the surface. And so if you're dealing with somebody that, that has a problem with anger, the, the first thing you would think is, hey, let, let's attack anger. Let's go through some verses on anger. But often there, there's a reason that anger is there. there. There's a root problem that's leading to that. Maybe it's bitterness. Maybe it's forgiveness. Maybe they were hurt. But there's something that's leading to that. And I think when it comes to lying here in Ananias and Sapphira, there was a root problem, a deeper problem that led to them doing what the, the Bible says, testing the Holy Spirit. And here's what I believe their problem is. Their problem was this, Ananias and Sapphira were more concerned with appearing spiritual than being spiritual. They were more concerned with the outside looking good and looking okay than they were in actually making sure what was inside was okay. And really there's this idea of this, this reputation versus reality where, where in many Christians, we, we are not better than them. We do this all the time. We're, we're more concerned on what others say or what others think or what others do than simply being genuine in where we are in our faith. And so we've seen this uh, in many ways. Maybe uh, you know that person on social media, right? Who, who's always posting, God is so good. God did this. But, but on the inside, you know, that's not really the case. Maybe you've been in a prayer meeting, and I feel like this happens all the time when I was growing up. You'd be in a prayer meeting, and, and it was your turn to pray, and you just happened to be next to that guy that's like super spiritual and prayed like for 15 minutes, and then you're like, how am I going to go past 30 seconds, right? And so you start to make up these big words. You start to you lower the voice, right? Because you don't want to seem like you're not spiritual, right? And we do these things, and the way we give, and the way, but the idea is that, that sometimes we do these things to be seen, and Ananias and Sapphira, the reason they gave was not out of their love for the Lord, but it was to be applauded by men. They wanted others to look at them and say, hey, good job, you gave. And maybe that's something that, that you do in your life, not just financially, but with other things. I also see that they gave so that they would feel better about themselves, right? Out of duty. And again, before we jump on them, we do this too. Maybe it's when we go to church. Why are we here at church? Because that's what Christians do, right? Why did we have our devotions this morning? Well, you can't be a Christian and not have your devotions, right? It's part of, right? And, and all of this is out of duty. And so what I want to do this morning, just for a short time, is, is look at a couple signs in their life that I believe led them to this point where they were willing to lie, lie to God, willing to, to put what the outside shows instead of putting that effort and energy into actually making sure that's the reality of the situation. And Jesus has something to say in Matthew 6. He says, take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, that they may have the glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. The first problem I see, or the first sign I see in Ananias and Sapphira's life is that they did not think it was worth giving their all. It, it did not seem like it was worth giving their all. Now, they gave most. They gave a lot. Again, it was a big enough portion to where it should have been able to deceive if it wasn't for the Holy Spirit. But they said, God, we are willing to give this amount. And maybe it was 80, maybe it was 90, maybe it was 99% of the proceeds. But there was some part that they said this, it's not worth it to give this. 
And, and as I was reading this, you know, it's easy to jump on them. And, and I was thinking, man, there's some things in my life that, that I've not wanted to give up. And I've said, God, you can have this and you can have this and they're good things and you can have that. And man, I'm really sacrificing here. Just, just don't touch this thing over here. Just don't touch this area over here. And what I've found, and I haven't been around too long, I'm 26, but what I've found in my, my short Christian life is this. God is often more interested in if we are willing to give up something than he is in actually asking for it. He's more interested in willing. And sometimes he does, and he has every right to ask for it. But this is something I learned when I was dating Holly. And uh, this was back in college. And um, at this point in my life, Holly, and she still is today, but what was everything to me, I was totally obsessed with her. I put her before my grades. I put her before my relationship with the Lord. Obviously, that shouldn't have been the case, but I was, I was so obsessed with her. I wanted to marry her. I thought it was reciprocal. I'll find out it wasn't, but, but I loved her. And so she, she was my everything. And I remember there was one evening where I was so excited because she invited me over for a Bible study. And I thought, wow, such a godly woman. And then she said, hey, after the Bible study, we're going to watch your favorite movie, Brother Bear. Okay. It's a weird movie. It was my favorite movie. It's not anymore. And you'll understand why at the end of the story. So Bible study, my favorite movie. And then I don't know why she, she did this. And then right after she broke up with me, she dumped me and told, told me I had to go home. So I hate the movie Brother Bear now. I still like Bible studies. <laughs> But I remember thinking, what in the world is going on? And I went home and I was so upset. And honestly, I was upset with God because I thought, okay, God, you brought her into my life. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed. God, is this the one you want for me? You seem to answer that. I wanted to marry her. I, I thought she was my life. And then why would you allow all this to happen to simply tell us to break up? And Holly and I had talked that night before she told me to go home. And she said, let's take some day, a couple days to talk about this um, with our friends, our family, uh, with the Lord. We'll pray about it. And a couple days, we'll come back and talk. And, and for the first time, and it took me a long time to get there. And, and for those of you who know me, I'm not emotional. This was the most emotional maybe I've ever been in my life. I was crying every day. And I remember crying out to God and saying, God, if you want me to give up Holly, I will. And it was hard, and it, it was the hardest thing I've ever had to do. But I meant it for the first time in my life. And I said, God, if you don't want me to be with her, that's okay. And I think it was the next day or two days later, she called and she said, hey, I have peace about getting back together. And what I remember about that or what I believe God was teaching me there was, was I wasn't asking for you to give her up and I wasn't telling you that she wasn't the one. I simply need to know if you were willing. And, and for some of us Christians, there, there's areas in our life that, that we're not willing to give up. That there's something that we say, God, you can have all of these things, just not this. And so one of the things that I want to challenge you with today is, are you willing to give everything? This was one of the signs of Ananias and Sapphira that, that they were kind of faking it. And I believe they were saved because in the context of this chapter, it seems like they were part of the church and, and they were saved. So we're talking about Christians here, but are you willing to give your all? We think of Elijah. Elijah wasn't just willing to give most. Elijah was willing to give all, and he doesn't regret it for a second. And I wish he was here to tell us about that. But are you willing to give your all? This is the verse that shows that it says, and they kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Not only did they not think it was worth it, second point, they started comparing themselves to others. And I think this is one of the most toxic things we can do in churches, in youth group, in any type of groups, because what it does is we start to put people on different pedestals. Maybe you see somebody that's way more spiritual than you and you say, man, I can never be that. And, and you become discouraged. I, I can never live up to that. So you find someone that's worse off than you and you're like, wait, at least I'm not that, right? And we try to find that, that median in church and then we get comfortable. So we're either comfortable where we are or we're being prideful because we're better than this person or we're discouraged because we could never be this person. Look in chapter four, go back a chapter in verse 32, 37. It says, 
And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of these things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked, for as many were possessors of lands or houses, sold them and brought the prices of the things that were sold and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according to he had need. And then it lists some names of the people that were doing this, and it says, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So that's going back to chapter four. So this is before Ananias and Sapphira lied and came up with this plan. And you see why they came up with this plan, because people were literally giving everything. People were selling all of their houses. They were selling all of their land, all of their cattle, literally giving everything to the church to see it go forward. I think Ananias and Sapphira looked around and thought, we can't be the ones that don't give, right? You know, that family gave all. We can't give less than that. So they came up with this plan. How how can we look good? How can we uh, feel better about where we are? And they started comparing themselves to others. And this is something that I think creeps in so easily. We don't, we don't think about it this way, but, but we start to look around and we compare ourselves to others. Even in this room, we think, well, I'm better than this person. I'm, I'm not as bad as that person. I can never be this person. And what it does is it gets our eyes off where we should be focusing on. You know, Paul puts it this way in uh, Philippians 3. He talks about staying focused on your race. He says, brethren, I count not myself to apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You know what Paul's saying? He's saying, I'm not only forgetting about my past, the things that I've done. He says, I'm not worried about these other people in my life. I am staying focused on what God's called me to do, and that is simply to grow closer to him every single day. I don't care that I'm not the most spiritual person in here. I don't care that there's other people who would be categorized as less spiritual than me. That doesn't excite me. What excites me is knowing every single day when I lay my head going to bed that I am closer to Christ than when I started. Now, let me ask you, is that your desire? That, that by the end of today, you are closer to Christ than when you woke up this morning. By next week, you are closer. By next year, and as we look back, not that we should, but if we do, we can see that growth. And, and I don't care how much this family is growing, and obviously I do, and I pray for them, but, but I'm not concerned about where they are and where they are. We're all starting in different areas. Some of us have been saved for a long time. Some of us are, are babies in our faith. Some of us have been saved for a long time and still are babies in our faith. But, but the idea is not that we look around and, and we categorize, but it's, hey, let's all just stay focused on the goal. Let's all try to get there. And every day, we're growing closer and closer to Christ. And Ananias and Sapphira, that should have been their desire. Hey, I don't care how much this family gives. I don't care. Let's just, this is what God wants us to do. And let's go forward with what he's asked us to do. The third thing, and I think this is maybe the most common, is they feared man more than they feared God. Look at verse 4 in chapter 5. It says, Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it sold, was it not thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto God, or not lied unto men, but unto God. Peter is saying something that they know. He's saying, do you not realize that you didn't just lie to us, you lied to God. And Ananias and Sapphira clearly knew that they lied to God because they knew who God was. They had seen his power and working in the church. And this was their thinking. We can lie to God and that's okay. We just don't want the people to find out. And the fear that they had of man finding out overrode the fear of God finding out. And here's something else I've, I've learned through many mistakes. What we fear determines how we live. What we fear determines how we live. Um, how many of you are afraid of sharks in here? 
All right, I'm kind of on my own. Okay, there's a couple of hands, right? My, both my hands are up. I am terrified, terrified of sharks. Uh, and that clearly determines how I live. When I go to the beach, I have a rule, and this has always been my rule. I will only go as far as somebody else is, whether that's family, whether that's friend, not so they can warn me so that while the shark's eating them, I've got time to get to shore, right? I am terrified of sharks. So bad, and this is where you're really going to make fun of me, and I'm not making this up. I am terrified to jump in pools by myself. And you say in the daytime or nighttime, both. I will not jump in a pool by myself. And the reason is this, my brother lied to me and he told me when I was little and clearly I still believe it, but he told me that the drain at the bottom leads to the ocean and that you can actually see the the shark's eyes if you look closely. And listen, I, as a 26 year old, I know this is not true. I know that's not where the drain leads, but every time I'm around a pool, I'm like, but what if it does, right? It's just, there's that that little bit, that fear. And so when I'm around pool, that changes how I live. When I'm around the beach, that changes how I live. And what I fear is going to determine how we live. And in all seriousness, in our Christian life, what we fear determines how we live. Do we fear others making fun of us? Do we fear others not approving us? Do we fear, what is it that you fear? Because that's going to determine how you live. And if the truth is, if we fear God and we feared missing out on all that God has for us, and we feared missing out on not getting to experiencing a real relationship with Christ, that would change how we live, wouldn't it? If every day was, I'm afraid that by the end of the day, I'm not going to be as close to Christ as I was hoping to be, that would change. But often we let fear from other things dictate how we live our life. And we see here in Ananias and Sapphira, the fear of others finding out, the fear of others saying, wow, you didn't give all your land, or the fear of others saying, that's all you, that took place, and they didn't even fear God in this place. Revelation chapter three, this is Jesus talking about this idea of being more concerned with the outward and putting more effort into the outward and putting more of our time into the outward. And listen, I don't think that, that Ananias and Sapphira were these evil people that woke up every morning and said, how can we trick Christians into thinking we're more spiritual than we were? I think they were just normal people like you and I who got caught up in fear, who got caught up in wanting others to approve, who got caught up in comparing, and they got to this place where at least in this moment, I don't know how much more, but it was just a little bit more concern for the outward than it was the inward. And this is what Jesus says. And he's talking to a church. He's talking to Christians. He says, I know thy works that thou hast a name and thou livest and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. This is Jesus talking to the church. He knows everything about the church. And he's saying, listen, you have a great reputation. Others would say great things about you. Others would say that is a church that's on fire for God. Others would say all of these things. But he says, I know what's going on inside. And it is not matching what is being put out. And he's not saying that this church is terrible. And he says strengthen the thing. So this is, again, saved individuals. But, but are there any Christians here today who are comfortable with everybody else thinking they're here and, and putting energy and effort into making sure on the outside everything looks good instead of just saying, I need to be real. I don't care what others think. And I want to be genuine in my faith and focus on the relationship. Again, I think this reputation versus reality is something that, that every Christian struggles a little bit. And it's not just young people. It's not just older people. And it's not just, man, for eight months, it was like, it's an everyday thing. Tomorrow, you're going to wake up and you're, you're going to have a chance to, am I going to put more into the outward, what others think, what others say, or am I going to wake up and just say, I'm going to stay focused on the goal and grow as close to Christ as I can. I don't know where you are in your relationship with the Lord. And I don't need to know. That's between you and the Lord. And maybe you're here and you're not even sure that you have a relationship. And maybe you think you have a relationship and you don't. And I want to end with this verse. And this is one of the saddest 
portions of the Bible you will find in Matthew 7, 22, verse 23. This is Jesus. And just look at that first word. You guys can put the verse up there. Many. Not a few. Not a couple. Not some. Not a group. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name and in thy name have cast out devils and in thy name done many wonderful works. People, Jesus is saying, people, many are gonna go to Christ and say, Christ, did you not see what I did? Did you not see the Bible study I led? Did you not see how many people I led to the Lord? Did you not see how I was at church every Sunday? Did you not see all these things? These are great things that they did. And Jesus looks back at them and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And I'm not trying to get a single one of you to to doubt your salvation. That's not my goal at all. But I want you to know that we can have assurance that we do have relationship. And and this is something I asked the teens to do a couple weeks ago at fifth quarter. And and something I want to ask you to do right now. But but if I was not here, let's say Jesus was here, right? That would change some things. If Jesus were here and he was going to go through every single individual in this room and look at you in the eyes and he was simply going to say, I knew you, I don't know you, I know you, I don't. And, And literally every single one he went through. How many of you would be a little nervous? How many of you would think twice? Do, do I really have a relationship with him? How many of you would be confident? I know he's going to look at me and say I have a relationship. But that's something that you should think about because we don't have to live with that, I wonder what he'd say. We can know we have a relationship with Christ. And if that's you in here and you don't know Christ and you don't think you have a relationship, please talk to one of us after the service. Talk to any of our leaders, our deacons. We'd love to, to share that with you and show you how you can know that. But for the rest of us in here as Christians who, if we're being honest, can easily be concerned with what others think or what others say. Maybe you're here and tonight or this morning, you need to get to the place where you're willing to give all. And there's something in your life that, that you are just holding on to. You say, God, not this. Maybe if you're a young person, it's your relationships. Maybe it's if your finances, if you're older. Maybe it's your future. Maybe it's your plans. But there's something you say, God, I'm not willing to give that up. And you need to be honest with God and say, God, I'm not willing, but can you help me be willing to give that up and be honest with him? Maybe you need to say, God, help me not to care what others think. Help me not to be concerned with what they would say. Help me to be so concerned with what you would say that I'm not willing to compromise anything when it comes to my relationship. And then maybe some of you need to ask God to take away those fears. God, help me not to be afraid of this or that. Help me to fear you and your word and missing out on everything that you have for me. If I can have every head bowed and every eye closed. Again, I don't know where you are in your Christianity, but you do. And it's so easy to get comfortable with the outward. When people tell us, hey, you're such a great person, this is a great Christian, and it's so easy to maybe even start to believe those things. And I'm not preaching this because I think our church is full of a bunch of fake people. I'm preaching this because I know in my life, this is something that so easily comes up and I become more concerned with what are they saying, what's the outward look like, and I don't simply ask myself what's truly going on. So if we can have everybody stand, just keep your head bowed and your eyes closed. And I don't know if the Lord spoke to you in any way this morning, but if he did, the music's going to be playing and you can come pray. Obviously, you don't have to come forward to pray. You can pray in your seat, but ask God, God, help me to not make the same mistakes they did. Help me to be so concerned about my relationship with you that nothing else matters.